Well, Jesus Christ is indeed mighty to save. And we think about our salvation and what God has done in our lives. A standard question that, that should come to your mind is, why? Why has God saved you? For what purpose? And, and we're going to try to delve into that today as we look into God's Word. But before we do that, um, I want to I start us out in a little different direction. A common childhood game that, that people play, at least when I was a child, I did, was hide and seek. Remember this one? You would count, and then when you get to whatever number you and your friends agreed upon, you would then open up your eyes and go look for your friends who had hidden somewhere in the yard or the house or wherever you happened to be. And the place that you played this game was very important. You wanted to play this game where there were a lot of places to hide. I bring that up, that silly illustration, that game that you probably played as a kid, just like I did, because I think a lot of us are finding after several weeks of this COVID-19 crisis with the quarantine and all that that includes, is we're running out of places to hide. Here's what I mean. You're probably in your house with your family, with your children, with your spouse, if you're married, whoever, whoever happens to be in the house with you, and you're finding that you're running into each other and there's no place to hide. And I hear about bickering and, and arguing and, and some bad feelings that are happening between each other. And, and believe it or not, our passage will deal with some of that as well. Because what I've found is that as time passes, our heart is revealed. So there's nowhere to hide right now. And time always tells exactly what's going on in our heart. So that's our introduction today. Run out of places to hide. And why is it that God saved you? Now we've been studying from the book of 1 Peter. And I invite you to turn there in your Bible. Uh, join me there. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. But we've been focusing on chapter 1. Specifically the hope that we have. Peter called it a living hope that we have because we've been born again. We've been born again and now have a brand new nature, a born again nature. Peter references that in verse number 3 of chapter 1 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I want to talk about that and, and understand that it poses a serious question. And the question is, why? Why did God save you? Now, some questions are better than others. You probably have a lot of questions that have come to your mind over the last couple of weeks. I know that I have. And I've wondered, Lord, why is this happening? And, and what are you trying to accomplish through this? And, and what is the purpose now, not all of those questions are going to be answered. You're not going to find the answer to many of those questions, at least not in a micro sense. You may not know why this happened to you. You may not know why you lost your job or, or even why you lost your marriage or your family or your spouse. The things happen and we wonder why. And God doesn't always choose to give us the micro answer. But today I want us to see the macro answer, the big answer for all things in our life. And I want to answer that for why God saved you. 
You find it in this same book, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to what Peter writes in verses number 1 and 2. He says that, speaking to those who are in Christ, he says, this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Now you might have missed it, but it was there. The why are we saved? The why are we born again? What is God seeking to accomplish? Hear it again. One phrase. We are elect or born again for obedience to Jesus Christ. The reason why God has saved you is because He wants you to be in relationship with Him and that includes obedience to the Lord Jesus. But obedience to the Lord Jesus for us is impossible on our own. So God saved us for obedience to the Lord Jesus. Peter's going to deal with that and, and he's going to drill down into your very heart today into your nature, into your disposition, your temperament, the things that are inside that with enough discipline, with enough control, with enough behavior modification, quite honestly, you can hide from other people. But God wants to deal with that, with your heart, with the place that your emotions live, the place that your motivations live, the place that the intentions of your heart, that's where it resides, is there in your inner man. And God desires to change that part of you. Being born again or being saved or being part of the family of God, it is not so much about our outside activities, the things that we say. It includes that. But it's more than that. It's the inner man. The man or the woman that God must change. I want to read to you where Peter deals with this in chapter 2. And honestly, it, it, it may be a little intrusive. God is going to deal with things that could be downright convicting. To be honest, the, the difference that Jesus makes in our life is very personal and very intimate. Hear God's word. This is in chapter 2 of the book of 1 Peter. And here's what Peter writes. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What we want to talk about today is that in light of being born again to a living hope, Peter is going to share with us the difference that Jesus Christ makes. 
And as I've already said, it is very personal. It is very much your everyday life. And it may be that these things over the last five weeks, the challenge to them has been revealed. Because there's nowhere to hide. Can't hide what goes on in the heart. So what Peter does is he begins and says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He tells us to put these things away. But I want you to notice that in verse number one, he says, so, so put away all. And then he lists out five things. It's important for us to understand the word so. Your translation may say, therefore, so, or therefore, put away all malice. So this is building upon something. Peter is, is now building upon something that he has already placed earlier in the text. So, do something. We need to see that what Peter is saying is in light of what he has already said. What he's going to challenge us to, these heart issues, is in light of what he's already communicated. It's in light of being born again to a living hope. Verse number 3 of chapter 1. It's in light of God's power. Verse number 5. It's in light of salvation. Verse number 9. In light of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Verse number 13. In light of the character of God. Verse number 16. In light of your redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse number 19. In light of the living word of God. Verse 23. All these things Peter has laid down so that we can see this difference that God is going to make. So we can see why he has saved us. For obedience to Jesus Christ. He is making us a new creature who can now obey. And he must start with our heart. So what Peter tells is, put away. He tells us to put away some things. Literally, this means to remove, like taking off a dirty shirt. Put away these things. One translation says, rid yourself of these. It's interesting. These, these words are written in, in such a way that they mean you do this once for all. You deal with this once for all. So what are these things that we are for once for all to rid ourselves, to put away? It's a forceful word, by the way. It's strong. And, and I want you, before I get into them, I want you to notice that, that what Peter calls for us to put away, it's, it's not the gross sins that, that you and I might think of. It's not the sins of, of paganism or, or, or excessive sexual sin or or this or murderous ideas that that's not what it is it's it's things to do with the heart it's everyday things that god's spirit wants to deal with see being born again changes all of this first of all he says put away all malice malice is a word that means wickedness or evil it's it's to have a desire to harm someone it means that your intent is, is to cause pain in another. And you rejoice in the pain of others. I mean, for instance, in Romans 12, the Bible says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But malice rejoices when people weep. And quite honestly, malice weeps 
when other people rejoice. It's ugly. Second thing we are to put away is all deceit. Now this is a, a general word for falsehood, and it literally means a trap, like a worm on a hook is what it means. And so it's a, it's a hidden lie. It's a hidden evil intent. That's what deceit is. We're to put this away. It's to be crafty, to plan evil is what deceit is. Also, put away hypocrisy. Now, you probably know the word hypocrisy or hypocrite. In the day that this was written, that meant an actor in a drama or a play. And so what this means is to conceal your true motives or to conceal your character. Next, Peter says that, that we are to put away envy. Envy. Now, what is envy? Envy is a feeling that you have. It's a feeling towards another person. And that is not a feeling of just wanting what they have. It's hating them because they have it. That's what envy is. It's an evil feeling towards somebody else because they have prospered or they have joy or they have experienced some goodness. And then finally, Peter says, also put away all slander. Slander is a word that means to gossip or quietly speak behind somebody's back. I told you, Peter is dealing with some things that are very intimate and very real. And you're probably living some of these things in your home even right now because there's nowhere to hide. And your heart is being revealed. When you have malicious thoughts and an evil intent toward your spouse or your children or your mom or your neighbor. And you just think bad things towards them. And it might even look like the covering that up and, and hoping for their struggle. You hide it from them. That's a hypocrite. You don't let them see it, but it's there. Because in your heart, you resent them. And so you might even talk about them to your spouse or your children or your neighbor, whatever it might be. What Peter's saying is that these things are to be put away, to be put away in our life. And this is what God wants to do in us because these things go against the character of God. So what do we do? That's the question. What do we do to turn this around? What do we do to be different? What do we do? The answer might surprise you. The answer just might surprise you of what we are to do. To not have this sinful heart disposition. To not respond the tr in the trial, to the trials of life in this way. Because it's easy. It's easy when the pressure's on. This natural inclination of us is to be malicious. And to lie. And to cover up our own problems. And to maybe even, driven by our envy, slander others. So how do we change it? It's not what you expect. It's not simply don't do it. It's not simply do the opposite. It's not just go out with all of your power and think good and do good and be good and feel good and speak good. That's what we expect. We expect the Bible just to say, you see all these things? Do the opposite. But that's not what Peter commands us to do. Because that will fail. You could turn off this video... You could then decide in your heart that you don't want to be those things anymore. 
and it will never change. Because you and I are powerless to change our heart. You cannot do it. So, what's the answer? What's the, what, what hope do we have? We, we said the whole reason why God desired to save us is that we might live in obedience to Jesus Christ. So Peter's telling us, take this evil that's in us, this evil that's in our heart, and put it on the cross. That's what you do with it. it that part of you dies with Jesus. Once and for all, you put the hypocrisy, the slander, the envy, the evil intent, the deceit. You say, Jesus, you die for that. Let your death be for my heart. And then you allow God to change you. Look what Peter says. In verse number two, see the solution that the Spirit of God brings to us. It's not more effort. It's not greater desire to see something changed. It's not grief over what you've done. None of those things will change you. None of those things will change me. Look what Peter says in verse number two. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it ye may grow up into salvation. There it is. This is how the change happens. We put this evil on the cross with Jesus. We trust Him to save us, born again. But now, we look to our good God. We look to the Word of our good God. And we long for it. And this is how He changes us. See it in the text. See it. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. God is good. He's, if you're in Christ today, He's given you a new identity. You have received a new birth that produces a change in us that, that brings into you a brand new family trait. And this new family trait is not maliciousness. It's not evil. It's not deceit. It's not hypocrisy. It's not slander. That's not what it is. We are now, the Bible will tell us, living stones crafted after the model of the living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our good God. And what he wants to do is use his word like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. This pure spiritual milk is an illusion. It's a, it's a statement of, of honor and of respect for and pointing us to the word of God. Chapter 1 talked about this. That the word of God remains forever. Verse number 25 of chapter 1. This is the tool, if you will, that God uses to conform our heart to His. But what it says that we must do is not try to stop being a hypocrite or try to stop envying or how to stop the malicious ideas or, or how to stop slander. No, this is not what Peter directs us to do. What Peter directs us to do is to long for God and His Word. And He'll make the change. He does the changing. 
when we long for the pure spiritual milk. Peter uses a strong term here. He uses a strong illustration. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word. What is this referring to? He uses, he uses the picture of a newborn child. And that newborn child cannot be satisfied by anything but milk. He or she wants nothing else, only milk. That's all that will satisfy them. God says, you see your own heart? You see the envy? You see the slander? You see the hypocrisy? You see the deceit? You see the maliciousness that's there? Long for pure spiritual milk. Don't be satisfied with anything else but God and His Word. God is the change agent, but His method is the Word of God. It's not your thoughts, it's not your efforts, it's not your plans. Those things don't do it. His supernatural Word does Only God can change the disposition of a heart. And He only does this through the power of the cross and then the presence of the Word of God in our lives. He says that through this that we might grow up into salvation. Salvation is describing the end goal of God's plan. The end goal of His plan. In verse number 2 of chapter 1, Peter called it obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he refers to it as salvation. Now what is that? For us as his creatures, salvation is to be conformed to the image of the creator. This is what he's doing in our lives. He's molding us. He's, he's, re, he's remade us. We're born again. Now he uses his word to change us. To change us so that we think like he thinks. We feel like he feels. We want what he wants. We're happy about the things that make him happy. We're sad about the things that make him sad. We respond to people's sinfulness the same way that God does. This is what God desires to do in our lives. And what he asks us is will you long for it? Pure spiritual milk. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in Hebrews chapter 5, milk is used to represent one who isn't really interested in maturity. That's not what this is driving at here. This is not a negative. This is actually a great challenge to us. And the challenge is, like a newborn infant, do you long for God's word in that way? Long for him to change you. Long for him to, to bring to completion what he has started. So what are we to do? We're to long for God to work in our lives through his word. This longing is a, it's a, it's a strong, single focus. It's a consuming desire for God. 
and his word. Let the failures of your life, let, let the areas where you're failing in your heart, when this hypocrisy is there, when slander is there, when envy is there, when malice is there, when deceit is there, let that feed your longing for God and His Word. Well, how does that make you feel? How does it make you feel to know that you can't change this dynamic? You cannot do it. You can't change your heart. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel to know that I'm saying, and the Word of God is saying, that you will fail at changing your heart? How does it make you feel to, for me to say that your good thoughts or your good ideas or your good intentions will have no effect on your heart? That no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you want to, no matter how good or how bad your parents were or your situation is, no matter how much you fill your mind with, with psychology or, or positive thoughts or, or some world philosophy, that no matter what you do, nothing you do will change your heart. How does that make you feel? That's where Peter goes now. And let me show you what he has to say. He says in verse number 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want us to see here that in light of God's plan for us to be born again, in light of all of that, Peter is revealing to us that mankind responds to this offer in one of two ways. In one of two ways. The first way is to build upon it. To build upon it. To humbly accept that I cannot change me. But God loves me so much that he's willing to change me, to accept that and to allow him to build me up into what he calls here a spiritual house, to, to fit me together, to, to make me, to reform me and to develop me, to reflect God, to say to God, I can't do anything about this. I fail at changing my heart, but you change me to build upon it. That's one way people respond in humility and thankfulness. They cry out to God. They might sing to God, thank you for what you're doing in my life. But there's another response that Peter alludes to, and I do want us to be challenged by it. It continues in verse number 6. It was alluded to in verse number 4 that some rejected this living stone. But hear what verse number 6 says. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. You build on a cornerstone, see. And it's Jesus Christ is what the passages reveal. We build, we build upon Him and let Him change us 
cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, listen, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and it has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You see, when we, when we understand what God has communicated about ourselves, we can't change our heart. We, we cannot rid ourselves of malice. We cannot rid ourselves of deceit. We cannot rid ourselves of hypocrisy. We cannot rid ourselves of, of slander and of envy. We are powerless to change those things. You see, when we, we see that truth, when we hear that truth explained from the Word of God, some respond with worship. But others respond with offense. How dare you? How dare you, God, say that I can't change myself? How dare you say that I can't make my heart better? How dare you say that I will always envy on my own? How dare you say that I will always lie on my own? How dare you say that I will always slander on my own? These are the things that Jesus says about us. These are the things the living stone says about us. That there's nothing good in us. That our own, we, we can't do anything positive or anything righteous on our own. This is what the Word of God has said about us. And there are those that hear that and are offended. It's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. The idea that mankind is so malicious, so deceitful. That mankind, we are such envious, lying hypocrites. That in order for us to be changed, God must die. This is the gospel. That mankind is so wicked, that our heart is so evil, that our temperament is so wrong, that change required a bloody, wicked death on a cross by Jesus Christ. So we stand before the cross and we have one of two responses. We either receive in humility, and say, I can't change myself. I look to you, Jesus. Or we're offended that one would ever say that I am powerless to change myself. How's your pride? Is the inner man offended by God's word? That says you can't change this on yourself. That mocks your ability to improve, sustain, correct, or obey. The word of God mocks man's ability to do that. Jesus Christ understood that man would always fail on his own. But we have grace. And it's why we sing. We have hope, a living 
let me ask you three questions to close out our time. Number one, how's your heart handling this trial? How's your heart dealing with the difficulties? Look to your relationships. All these terms that Peter referred to are about our relationship, our heart response to our relationships. Our relationships indicate the status of our hearts. How's your heart handling this trial? What is it revealing about your heart? Is it revealing malice? Is it revealing deceit? Is it revealing anger and slander and envy? How's your heart handling this trial? Secondly, do you live a longing for God's word? Do you live a longing for his word? As you see your sinful heart, it's meant to drive us to God in his word. Are you living that longing like an infant? Longing for pure milk? And then lastly, does the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the cross of Christ, the message of Jesus coming and taking sin and being rejected by his Father, because of our sin, does that message break you into a desire for forgiveness or does it break you into offense? I trust that God is showing you from His Word that He loves you and He loved you so much that He was not willing that you remain as you were that jesus wants to take you and change you and that the bc you the before christ you has changed and now after jesus you see this difference that god is working in your life this is the word of god it's the message that jesus has for us I pray that, that you and I will respond to it. I'm going to pray now for you as you listen, and then we'll close out our service as we always do with Jesus' great commission, sending us out into a world that needs to hear the truth of who he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you would not leave us as we were. Lord, you came to bring us life, life to the full. Life that wasn't wrapped up in malice and hypocrisy and slander and envy and deceit. Rather, a life that reflects you because you are changing us. Do that now, we pray, through the power of God's word. Before Jesus ascended to be with the Father, he gathered his disciples together and gave them these words. We call it the Great Commission. It's his call to us even today for what he wants and desires for us to live in our world this day. Scripture says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, 
I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen.